So yeah, great to be with you this morning live. Um, and we are continuing our series in hope, which we are exploring through looking at encounters with Jesus that we can find in the Gospels. So today we're going to be reading the story of the Samaritan woman, which I absolutely love. And the message that I want to remind you of quite simply this morning is that hope is inclusive and personal. So I'm just going to read from John 4 verse 4 to 30 and that will come up on the screen as well. Now he, Jesus, had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, this woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go. Call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. 
Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Yeah, Jesus, thank you for your word. Help us to hear you speaking through it to us this morning. Amen. This is a story of Jesus getting on the level of someone society deemed to be of the wrong race, the wrong gender, the wrong religion and the wrong social standing. But Jesus affirms and calls out her right faith, which trumps everything else. And this is an important story too. It's important because it's the longest recorded one-on-one conversation we have in the Gospels with Jesus. It's also the first time he declares that he's Messiah. We are meant to pay attention to this. I want to start by telling you a little story that might give you a bit of insight into why this is possibly my favourite passage in the whole Bible, if we're allowed to have favourites. So a bit about me, I grew up in quite a poor family and so I spent most of my school years on free school meals. In my primary school that entitled me to a hot dinner at lunch which was great, except that if you had a hot dinner there was only one part of the hall you could sit in and everyone with a packed lunch had to sit on the other side or outside. And the main issue with that is that everybody had a packed lunch. Every single friend of mine had their really cute little lunch boxes with those little compartments for carrot sticks and they got crisps and chocolate every day which seemed like the best thing ever but I wouldn't know because I sat by myself for years for reasons that were way beyond my control. As we read the beginning of this passage one of the things that strikes me is just how mundane and even generic this opening scene of a woman at a well is. We don't learn the woman's name, just that she's out drawing water, which in the first century was a necessary daily errand for communities across the land of Israel and beyond, and it still is in many parts of the world. The only unusual thing about it is the time of day. She's out in the midday heat alone instead of at the well in the cool of the morning with friends and family. And we'll go on to explore the probable cause of her social isolation. But what's significant now is that this woman is doing something completely normal and mundane to her. And Jesus comes and meets her there. He speaks first. He desires to talk with her, to share the gift of God with her. And he desires this for us too. To go back to my story, my main source of hope was a girl called Lizzie, who was my friend's older sister, who for some reason just loved hot dinners and so would often sit with me. 
as you might imagine, when you're young and someone in an older year sits with you, it is a huge deal. She would keep me company when I couldn't sit with my friends and we'd eat turkey twizzlers to our heart's content. Jesus goes into the Samaritan woman's everyday routine in a place that carried with it sadness and loneliness. In the example of my lonely lunch times, I think he sent Lizzie. Either way, he was and is undeterred by the ordinariness of daily routines and places and even the negative emotions that come with it. And sometimes I think we can just tangle ourselves in knots trying to pray the right way or facilitate exactly the right moment for God to show up when really he's just chilling at our daily pit stop in the places that feel so familiar to us. He meets us in our every day. Maybe you are finding it hard to encounter God at home at the moment. Is home a lonely place? Is it feeling frustratingly small? Is it totally chaotic with children? Have you let yourself believe that your living room or your bedroom is the last place that God would show up? Allow God to challenge that in you today. When the Samaritan woman encounters Jesus, we read that the very first thing she says is, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? In other words, the very first things that come up are the problems, the barriers to this encounter taking place and they hinge on identity. The woman knows what Jews think of Samaritans. We read in a book called Two Kings in the Old Testament that Samaritans were Israelites who had intermarried with other people groups and turned away from right worship of God by combining and polluting their worship with idol worship. This is partly why these myths begin to develop that we can read in Jewish oral literature that said that Samaritan women were viewed as perpetually unclean, menstruants from the cradle. So where it says in brackets, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans, a more literal translation that you might find in your footnotes is, Jews do not use dishes Samaritans have used. This is more than just a vague dislike or disapproval of their religious practices. This was a fear of being contaminated or being made impure. To be quite frank, this was a deep-rooted racial division at work here. And we know that that's not a thing of the past. Even as I was preparing this preach, I was sent a BBC News article, some of you might have seen it, detailing that a uni event from Edinburgh Uni was hijacked. This was a Zoom event held as part of the Caribbean Week, and it, there were racist and homophobic attackers who were disrupting the call by using racial slurs and by posting pornography in the chat. This 
evil manifests itself in new and extreme ways. But we learn in this passage that this was and is in complete opposition to Jesus. Nevertheless, this deep-rooted segregation was bound to have an impact on how the Samaritan woman saw herself, right? As unclean, not worthy to share a cup with Jesus. But Jesus gives this enigmatic response. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. This living water evokes images of baptism and continual spiritual refreshment. He's saying that he doesn't stand before her as an individual perpetuating racial divide, but as the powerful saviour who is able to restore and revive and wash away sin. He's the very origin and essence of goodness and forgiveness and unity in the same way that the actual drink he's asking for is neither here nor there. So is the barrier between Jew and Samaritan. In fact, the most palpable divide in this moment is the gap between how the Samaritan woman sees herself and how God sees her. What can we learn from that? Jesus sees you. How do you see yourself? Is it informed by how others see you or by how Jesus sees you? As we go on in this passage, we learn that the woman's identity issues are compounded. It's not just that she's a Samaritan woman. She's a Samaritan woman who has had five husbands and is now living with a sixth man. In many traditional readings of this passage, it has been maybe potentially unhelpfully assumed that this woman has committed adultery or prostituted herself. But if we look to the strict divorce laws of the time and also both of their responses in this conversation, it becomes clear that that's not necessarily the logical outcome. Matters of marriage and divorce were men's privilege. Women had little say in this. In Elaine Storkey's book, Women in a Patriarchal World, she suggests that this particular woman had probably first been married while young to an older man. He had either died or divorced her and she had subsequently become wife to a sequence of men, possibly in the same extended family and in each case her marriage had ended. Now her current partner hadn't even married her, so she was in a cohabitating relationship with no legal protection. When we realise how vulnerable and socially isolated this left her, probably with problems too of low self-esteem, the whole story begins to make much more sense. You see, Jesus' insight into the woman's life is not accompanied 
by any condemnation. He doesn't tell her to leave her life of sin. He doesn't tell her off. So it seems that we're not looking at the life of someone who has chosen their circumstances, but actually someone who's found themselves trapped. And this entrapment has meant that she's been shunned by her community and ostracized from the women she should have been able to go to the well with. This woman was on the wrong side of racial and relational social divides, covered in a shroud of taboo, and yet this wasn't worth a second thought to Jesus. There is nothing he won't and can't overcome to meet with every single one of us whose heart longs for him. And we can see that her heart longs for him because she brings up this theological debate around proper worship. It's dawned on her that this mystery man could well be the first significant prophet the Jewish people have had in 400 years. And here he is in front of her. So she does what anyone would do. She seizes the moment to ask her question, her most pressing desire, which in her case is to find out the right way to worship God. In spite of everything, she's not lost her desire to rediscover and worship the living God. Hope in Jesus is inclusive and personal. Jesus saw her heart and he also sees you. So let me ask again, how do you see yourself? Is it informed by how others see you or by how Jesus sees you? We see in the woman's response to Jesus' teaching on worship, that his words remind her of the long-awaited Messiah. Perhaps she's even begun to suspect that she could be in the presence of Christ. This is the moment that Jesus reveals who he truly is. This is the moment the passage has been building up to. This is what every promise of unity and hope and restoration depends upon. The message translation puts it like this. I am he, said Jesus. You don't have to wait any longer or look any further. You don't have to wait any longer or look any further. In my very academic looking Greek to English version of the New Testament, this moment is actually made even more clear through the I am being capitalized. Jesus reveals himself to be the great I am, the same name that God reveals to Moses in the Old Testament, a name the Samaritan woman would have recognized in a heartbeat. The Samaritan woman, without a shadow of a doubt, is encountering God. He wants to encounter us too. Even if we find that hard, he wants to encounter us too. What does it look like for you to really, truly encounter God today? 
have you ever noticed how after this moment, circumstantially, nothing changes for her? Jesus performs no miracle that day. Yet this encounter is life-changing. We can see this in the fact that she leaves behind her water jar. This is a small but significant detail. It resembles the way the first disciples left behind their fishing nets or their tax boots to follow Jesus. Her response is action. And her role in the story is transformed. She's given a mission. In the same way, we can be inspired into action. What things has God asked you or is asking you to leave behind for the role he has in store for you? What are those things? Perhaps you aren't sure about this whole leaving the water jar behind thing. Maybe you love encounter, but you find the idea of telling others about Jesus unappealing or just a little bit impossible right now. Maybe you think that, you know, during this lockdown, the most important thing is just the relationship between me and God. I think this mentality often occurs when we disconnect evangelism from encounter. We can't put sharing Jesus in this box in a corner. It's not a chore or a thing just to tick off to earn brownie points. It is the inevitable outworking of a life lived with and for Jesus. We saw this last week with the demon-possessed man. Aaron shared how by the time Jesus came back to the area where he'd previously healed this man, this man had gone out and spread the word and the whole town were now bringing out their sick full of expectancy that Jesus would heal again. When was the last time you shared the hope of Jesus with a non-Christian? We can still do this, even in lockdown. This year so far, I've been able to share my faith a few times simply just by people asking me what I was doing. A couple of weeks ago, a friend asked me what I was up to. So I explained that I was re recording a podcast because frankly, that makes you sound pretty cool. So he wanted to hear it. And so I sent him my episode in Rooted and bam, he got to hear about Jesus for 10 minutes and responded positively to it. So there you go. Everyone can sign up to do an episode of Rooted if you want. I've also had a few experiences where God's answered prayers and then opens up opportunities for conversations recently. So I shared a couple of weeks ago in the gathering about exciting conversations I'd had with an old neighbour. And then Janet in the chat was encouraging me to connect with more of my neighbours. And I have since been able to do that. And so that's just the beginning of something. But who knows what could happen? And I also have a group of friends that I've prayed for for a long time and got to strike up a conversation just over text with one of them about her experience of Christianity. And I got to encourage her that she can continue to explore faith, that she doesn't have to be in or out. And that was really exciting for her. All of these moments that I've shared are pretty small. They're not huge. But I want to encourage you that it's the everyday conversations that can become something significant. Jesus meets us 
in our everyday. And he will use us in our everyday because the hope of Jesus is inclusive and personal. And this is the note I want to leave us on. Jesus sees us, encounters us, inspires us to go tell. The story of the Samaritan woman can be our story too. So we're just going to take a moment to pray together. And I want to particularly pray for those who are either just longing to encounter God today. Maybe you resonated what I said with what I said about being in your home. And I also want to pray for those who want to share their faith. We heard about Alpha earlier. If you're watching this and you're going to be leading Alpha, we can pray for you. And also for those who want to work up the courage to maybe get to that point in the future or whatever else it is. So I'm going to pray for us. And then I'd love to encourage you, if you're watching this now at 11, to put maybe just one word or a phrase of what God's saying to you in the live chat, maybe during our worship afterwards. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your son, Jesus. for sending the Messiah to us so that we may have a relationship with you. And I want to pray for every single person in our church family who desires encounter with you this morning, God. Holy Spirit, would you be in their homes? Would you be meeting with them now? We ask for you to come. And God, I want to pray for those who, who want the courage or want the inspiration or want the words to be able to share their faith with others. God, we ask that you would fill them up, that you would equip them, you would give them the words to say. You would open their eyes to the everyday moments. In your name, Jesus. Amen.